Welcome to Nutritank's podcast. When you tune in, you're going to listen to a fantastic array of speakers speaking about things in the following fields such as food, farming, nutrition, lifestyle medicine and other areas of health. We can't wait to have you with us on this journey. Millennials, coddled, entitled, narcissistic, work shy and bloody lazy. We want to redeem millennials and give ourselves a good reputation. We have poured endless passions and hard work into Nutritank and this podcast. We hope you learn and enjoy. If you enjoyed today's episode on the podcast, then please subscribe to the rest of the podcast. Share it with your friends, family and colleagues. Give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a kind review. It will really help with Nutritank's mission to be the leading hub for food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine. It's your host, Ali Jaffe, and welcome to today's episode on Nutritank's Nourish Your Mind podcast. Today's episode is part of a three-part sequence around the theme intuitive oncology, a topic very close to my heart. I hope you've already listened to part one where I talk to two brilliant people who've set up charities to empower those around them to live well with cancer. Be sure to listen to part three where we zoom in on the nutritional science research and how it links to our immune system and the specialty of oncology. In today's episode, I talked to two beyond inspiring individuals, Sophie and John, who have set up organisations to help promote healthy messages and create a support group around nutrition and having a diagnosis of cancer. Sophie True is the brainchild behind Truefields Festival, the UK's first cancer awareness festival and a space for holistic approaches to health. Sophie was diagnosed with blood cancer in 2014, aged 23. Due to Sophie's journalistic background, she became particularly interested in investigating more about cancer and treatment options. Sophie built her own integrative recovery plan alongside six months of chemotherapy, including gut health, meditation, nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Within four months, her scans were clear and she began learning to heal mind, body and spirit. Sophie wanted to use her own experience for the greater good, leading her to create True Fields, a festival bridging the health gap and giving a voice to many experts in the field. And now on to our next guest, John Hanley. John has had a long career in the media. However, after being diagnosed with locally advanced prostate cancer, John decided to set up Chemo Cookery UK a project to raise awareness for eating nutritious and delicious food during cancer treatment. John began by writing recipes and posting them up on Twitter, Facebook and his chemo cookery blog. Finding that the process of writing the recipes as well as eating healthy and nutritious food was having a beneficial impact on his mind and body. Through the Chemo Cookery UK project, he's empowered others to utilise the tools of cooking and food in making a positive impact whilst having cancer treatment absolute pleasure to have these two on the podcast today. Sophie, so lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, I know we've been chatting over this crazy COVID period, so really nice to um, have an extended chat here today. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. 
I am Sophie and um, on the podcast today to uh, share a bit about um, my own story with cancer and also um, about a festival that I set up as a result of it. Um, other bits about me, uh, I am also now going into breathwork um, and meditation teaching and I also do coaching alongside the festival um, and just started out at uni um, doing journalism so I have quite a kind of research questioning mind, quite a curious explorer um, generally, so yeah. Yeah and I think that's kind of what sometimes happens like these projects find you rather than you find them and of course we're going to talk about your own personal experience but you already had that very inquisitive mind to start off with. So um, could you just tell us a little bit about what um, integrative cancer means to you and if you don't mind just sharing your personal story with our listeners? Absolutely. So integrative to me I kind of discovered probably a few months into my own treatment um, and it really stemmed from I had an initial conversation with my doctor having been someone who um, does have that curious mind and has I've generally kind of looked at different angles for um, different kind of topics and things um, but I remember asking my doctor in the initial consultation is there anything that I can do to help myself and his response was, um, no, cancer's a luxury. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing and leave it to us. Um, there's no reason why you've got it. So that was kind of the initial thing. But I'll backtrack to my story of um, how that all came about. But that kind of penny drop, um, light bulb moment, was the moment where I just realised, wow, um, there's a lot that needs exploring within this. And it felt like that was that point where I just felt very... Um, out of control. So one of my favourite um, favorite people to listen to is Gabor Maté, and he says there's two fundamental things that lead to heightened stress in a situation. And those two things that he's kind of looked at in a lot of his research are lack of control and lack of information. And at that point, for me, those kind of two things happened. Um, and so to backtrack a few months before that, this is going back now six years. So I was 23 and I'd just been making a documentary in Colombia. Um, and I started to get some symptoms, things like night sweats. Um, was very tired and I put it down to the fact that since graduating, I'd been living in Paris and South America, had been very much on the go, very non-stop life, um, like a lot of us lead in, in that kind of time of our lives. And I was very much lived in my head. So I didn't really realize I had a body until I came back and after a series of misdiagnosis, they thought it was tuberculosis because I'd been in Colombia. So I was told we're 99% sure it's not cancer. Um, come back and get your tuberculosis drugs in a week's time. And the morning I was going to get these drugs, I got a call from the doctor just saying, uh, can you come back in with your parents? Bring someone with you. And that was 9 a.m., so I went in at 7 p.m., and they told me it was a type of blood cancer, so I had lymphoma. Um, and, yeah, at that point, people say, can you take us back to that point of diagnosis sometimes in interviews? And it was just very much, and I think this might have been my coping mechanism as well, as we all go into our different ways of reacting in certain situations. Mine was definitely, why 
people and um yeah what, what more can we be doing so how can we kind of empower ourselves so that's when I had that initial conversation with the doctor and um just had that kind of feedback there's nothing you need to do and to me I no one ever asked what was I doing how was I living what anything was going on in my environment and um when you say what does integrative medicine mean to you I think it was when I started to look at the medical um journals and some of the PubMed uh research and just realized that I think it's um please correct me if it's not this but I think it's around 90 to 95 percent of cancers are attributed to lifestyle and environmental factors and then there's that five percent which are attributed to genetics solely um and that just made me realize how much more I could be doing to support myself. Uh, and so integrative to me is really, as Catherine said, it's kind of combining the best best of both worlds, bridging that gap between um, the more conventional, the more complementary. I also think alternative, really, if we look all the way back, alternative isn't really alternative. Alternative mm. is just the origins of nature and... Um, and, and absolutely, there are treatments that may, are probably, as we know, there are people who can uh, kind of create tricky things. But there's a lot of kind of the herbal medicine and, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating field. So it's bridging that gap mm-hmm. and really being very personalized to each person because everyone who gets the same cancer is totally unique, has had different upbringings, have had different... Um, traumas, life experiences, uh, ways of dealing with stress, all of these different things accumulate. Um, And so when it came to integrative, for me, I started off on the kind of level of looking at juicing and looking at uh, nutrition and that side of things. And then I think it was the step-by-step process. You kind of start to build a plan that really resonates. And I had to keep coming back to it because there is so much noise out there and everyone has an opinion. And it gets very loud when it comes to illness. Um, and just really connecting to my gut of um, trusting that I had the answers that I needed and coming back to that. So bringing in things like meditation, bringing in things like um, breath work, looking at how I was get yeah, moving, eating, that side of things. But after treatment, so I had chemo for six months, and then went on a bit of a trip to um, Central America and Asia, just looking at the kind of Eastern approaches to mm-hmm. cancer, and then also what they were doing out in Central America, and particularly in places like Mexico and things, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. So, yeah, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. More than enough. Thank you. That was, yeah, such an incredible story to hear, and there's just so much to unpack from what you've said. I think it's so incredible that your story resonates with the kind of center of integrative medicine being that you trusted your body's own intelligence system above everything else to kind of tell you, you need something else out there. And then you followed your intuition. And like you said, your gut on how to select the kind of modalities that were best fitted for you. Um, and I think that wasn't immediate, that was a definite learning process. Yeah, it sounds and like it must be a learning process because, like you said, there's so much noise. How, how, tell our listeners, how do you even begin to 
kind of streamline your methods to healing yourself alongside, you know, the conventional medicine you're having? It's a good question. It's definitely that thing, you know, how we instantly think we've got this whole, people often say it feels like a mountain that I've got to climb. Mm. And it's that thing of bite-sizer, take it step by step. We kind of see this whole staircase, but actually it's stair at a time. And so for me, it was, piecing together different parts of the puzzle. Um, meditation gave me that kind of clarity or just stillness of my mind to then be able to listen more to my intuition. And that definitely got stronger as I started to make changes. So I think I think the real, to me, I felt like a bit of a, um, bit of a kind of, I was thinking outside the box and that generally wasn't what was happening on the ward that I was on. So I was treated on a teenage cancer ward down in, um, Southampton and I, th- I think one of the challenges that you can find yourself in and the main challenge that I found myself in was wanting to um, build myself a bit of a kind of recovery health plan knowing that the chemo was doing its job but how can I look after myself mentally and physically and emotionally alongside that and you kind of feel like you are slightly caught in a conflict or a crossfire at that point. And luckily things have changed over the past five years, but back then it wasn't wasn't really um, that accommodated to really even talk about things like diet and getting support for that. So um, what I noticed, and for me it's this thing that the evidence is in the people, the experts are the people who've got the illness, and then you've got the experts in the other areas, which is incredible. Um, and it's how can we kind of work in a collaborative manner that I just started to realise that when I made certain changes, I didn't have the same side effects after each chemo round. So mm-hmm. I had 12 rounds. And I just see, and that gave me more and more belief in what I was doing. So whether that was looking at gut health, whether that was, um, I did some oxygen therapy and looked at kind of sauna, so heat therapy and that kind of thing as well. Um yeah, it was all stepping stones. Wow. I feel like there is so much that one can do to look after themselves. And, you know, we can only touch the surface in today's conversation, but I just think it's so important to highlight how profound of an impact these things actually had on you whilst you were having the conventional treatment with chemotherapy, you know, being able to have less side effects really is a remarkable thing. It's, yeah, it's huge. And I think really recognizing the power, yeah, the power of the mind for me was a really big one. The language I was using, how I was referring to things, um, I, I like to think of the chemo. Kind of, when I realized what it was and the toxicity and how it really did, um, I, I wrote in my diary, it feels like every cell in my body is dying, dying slowly. And it was, it felt like I was really being flushed out. And I think one of the big challenges is how do you, when you feel well, so you have your kind of cycle, people have a variety of cycles, um, mine was every two weeks, how do you get your head around when you feel really good and really well, then go back for another round mm-hmm. in, the, in the kind of boxing ring of it. Um, and so for me, I had to change my relationship and really look at how I was framing what chemotherapy was and kind of think of it as clearing. Mm. and think of it as working with my body and I, I noticed when I had that initial resistance challenge um, mentally that was really tricky so I found the kind of really big on that mind-body medicine side mm. of things and the power of our 
language we use and our beliefs and everything around that. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. I actually um, did a medical humanities degree at Imperial last year and we looked at all the different language that comes up in illness, you know, the military language that's been used for cancer all these years and looking at all the different patient perspectives and different schools of thoughts and how people view illness. And I think it's truly remarkable that you've pointed out that you have to change your thoughts in a, in a, in order to change your feelings about it. And then that creates, you know, an overall kind of elevation and mood or, um, whatever the outcome. And mm, definitely. Yeah. really great uh, resource for this. Um, that I would just kind of share would be, uh, there's a lot going on in America on the side of things, but people like David Hamilton in the UK started off as a cancer researcher and, um, he started researching the effect of placebo on on the drugs that he was doing when he was working for the pharmaceutical company. And he started to realise that the placebo was just as powerful, if not more powerful. And the way that he, people were thinking about the medicine and the surgery that they were having was huge. Completely. So his work, how the mind can heal the body, is a really great resource. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I've no idea, I can't even begin to imagine it, how it was for you when you were undergoing your cycles of chemotherapy. But I guess you've highlighted how important it was for you personally, maybe it works for different people, not to demonise it and um, create that negativity around it, because after all, it is helping you. It's difficult to do when something makes you feel so bad. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine. We all have our different ways of navigating mm. it. But yeah, no, I mean, it's remarkable you managed to kind of change your view on it and view it as clearing. So um, could you tell us a little bit about the True Fields Festival that you set up and where was the turning point for you to actually transform the idea um, of True Fields into a reality to help others? So I had been on that trip um, exploring the ways that different countries approached illness. Um, I've always been quite interested also in tribal communities as well and their way of dealing with different things and um, was just curious about how in the UK we have some of the worst survival rates in Europe. I don't know if this is changing but I think with cancer um, we tend to come up um, fairly low on the overall front for uh, survival rates and so I wanted to see what other countries are doing particularly in Germany and things and um, met some amazing doctors, met some amazing researchers. And it was this point where there are so many people like we've got on this podcast doing fantastic things. Um, and I'm grateful to you for bringing us together because often when you're in the jar, you can't see the label. and Because <laughs> we're so focused on what we're doing, we don't necessarily see. Um, I love looking at kind of the networks in mushrooms, for example, that kind of spore network that you get when it spreads out and everything can kind of be connected and you realise that when we all come together and when we talk about this integrative side, so we've got kind of bridging that gap, we have so much wisdom to learn and to share with each other and if we can work collaboratively, um, like Catherine said, if we can actually see look at the fact that we're all wanting to support people and work in that way um, instead of where does a treatment come from or where does an idea come from um, so I wanted to bring all of these people together and create a bit of a movement that was fun and uplifting and from a young age I've been going to festivals mm -hmm. and 
and uh, had worked at places like Festival and put on events for us at uni in Sheffield. And I just um, loved the power that festivals have because you're together for two or three days to really have that actually rare connection these days of just being together in a field. Um, and so Treefields was born in 2017. I'd been working for a cancer charity for a year before running workshops and I really realised how much people benefit from that connection and benefit from coming together. It was a young women's cancer charity. And um, yeah, Treefields is the first cancer awareness and holistic health festival. And it's a weekend of talks, workshops, music, um, creativity, but we also very much we talk about some of the taboo topics that people might feel um, like they kind of keep under wraps. So we'll talk about things like uh, dying, we'll talk about um, medicinal cannabis. I'm very into hemp and sustainability and that side of things as well. And um, yeah, coming, we have um, the talk stage and then there's the workshops. There's everything from breathwork to uh, qigong to silent discos and <laughs> Um, music and cooking demos, gut health, all sorts. So it's a big, it's a celebration, um, a coming together of community and also um, hopefully a opportunity to connect and learn from each other. And what I really love is in the festival environment, you can take your shoes off and we have doctors <laughs> kind of taking their shoes off and being hopefully relaxed. And it's just a really special um, experience. So we've done that for three years. Wow, it's, it's amazing, like, the festival kind of platform is so democratic and just how you say, like, you just break down all the kind of hierarchical structures and you've got doctors taking your, taking their shoes off and I think it's just all about, you know, celebrating life and I wish we were, I wish it was commencing in summer and I was able to be there and experience it uh, myself. I was so honoured when you asked me to speak and I can't wait for the festival to resume when all this craziness is over. Let me see. Ali, you're going to be leading the silent disco. I've already put you down. Thank you. I can tell you <laughs> I'm an unbelievably coordinated dancer, so I really hope that everyone there will enjoy seeing that. <laughs> My greatest, my greatest skill were dancing, um. But yeah, no, I can't wait. And so, what have been, what's been some of the feedback you've got from um, doctors and other uh, speakers that you've actually had there, as well as the participants? Yeah. So some of the some of the doctors and some of the speakers have just said it's the most uplifting cancer environment they've been in. I think, it, I, and I think it's interesting just to kind of mention that. Well, a lot of people initially, when I first started it, um, and I know you raised the question of kind of skeptics of people said, "How can you make a festival out of something so serious?" Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was this thing of while we're still living, there's so much to be joyful for and, and to bring in, and even um, yeah, it is that kind of celebration of what can happen when we come together. And um, people who attend, some of them just say that they make friends for life. Oh, that's and uh, we had we have some people who say that for the first time they felt like they can kind of be seen and be themselves and really relax with that because for some people um, cancer can obviously carry very physical scars and mm. visible scars as well so being kind of around people who just get it and you don't have to say anything there's kind of um, it's very special within that of just feeling seen and heard I think those are kind of our 
feel seen and heard and it's definitely a space for that as well. Um, people would describe that as a life-changing weekend for them. So, yeah, it's very special. Great feedback. It's, you must be so proud. I mean, you. I mean, life is a crazy thing. I'm sure you never thought when you were at uni studying journalism that this is what um, <laughs> was going to happen. And, you know, a terrible thing did happen, but you, you really turned it into something so um, uplifting and elevating for others to discover how to, you know, help assist their body through such challenging times. And... <laughs> Yeah, it, it is remarkable to actually be able to create a platform that connects others. Um, I know I get such passion from it, from uh, NutriTank and meeting so many new people. And um, yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be amazing when we can all get there and be there together. Um, it's, a wonderful, it's just a wonderful chance of realising just how many, like a celebration of all that is out there as well and what we can do. Absolutely. Um, uh, and even if there's just one step that someone comes in and they think, oh, this isn't really for me, and they try something, maybe one workshop, and that is something that they can add into um, improve their quality of life or have more energy, then that's awesome. And yeah. um, so it's really for anyone. It's not just for those who are ill. It's for um, practitioners, doctors, those who are kind of dipping their toes in as well. And, yeah, as you say, it's definitely a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, to do this? Yeah. I think... Um, yeah, there's no way back at university I would have thought, I mean, I was the tequila girl, there's no way you would have found me kind of thinking, would, uh, I wouldn't ever have thought I'd be doing this, but here we are, as here things pan No, I mean, you just got to let life take you sometimes, and I think what you've mentioned about humans wanting to be seen and heard, you know, really resonates with what Robin was saying about the art of listening and how important it is to really harness that, um, you know, with the clinician helping um, their patient, but also just among peers and that peer to peers and that peer to peer support environment. Um, so I really like that your festival, which is such a kind of it's like a very chilled way of having an entry point into a world that can be quite daunting if you are like you say a bit removed from it like a, te a tequila girl or someone who lives life on the go and doesn't know ways to calm down it's a really great entry point and it's not you know being preached at you which is which is really great um so you know i'm a medical student and i'm very passionate about this area and i want to help educate um, those around me so being uh, someone who has had cancer in the past and has had interactions with clinicians and other allied healthcare professionals what advice would you give um, for mine and my colleagues future interactions with people who have cancer um, first of all thank you for asking that because no one's ever asked that in my six years of being back and forth so I'm very grateful for that I had an interesting encounter where so I had my five year sign off um, a couple of months ago from the hospital and the doctor there just said because um, I kind of had this question of why is no one asking me what I'm doing there was always this point of oh you look really well that's great but there was never the kind of what else are you doing? That kind of curiosity, which again, I think comes back to that thing of wanting to share. Um, and this is where a lot of people who, patients will go researching because they might not get that kind of, the, the answers that they're seeking, I guess. And that's why it's fantastic that yesterday, Life and Penny Brown 
are around to do that. Um, it's such a it's such a balance. So when I had that five year sign off, the doctor just said that's you know what kind of I mentioned the festival and I invited him to the festival, <laughs> and he just said that's great because to be honest, we don't know anything about nutrition or really health, and you, and and I think it does take people to have that kind of interest and. Looking at all of the things that connects us, which is our kind of mind, our body, our spirit, that whole person approach. Um, I think it can be. It's it, not everyone wants to be in control of their health, so it does depend on the person. But for those, and I guess it comes down to kind of seeing those who might be doing or wanting the extra support and then signposting them. So. There's the research that Kelly um, Kelly Turner did, I don't know if this has been mentioned, but the Radical Remission Project in America, which was a lot of research about um, people who had gone into radical remission. And she went around interviewing doctors and she just said, have you all seen cases of kind of exceptional cases of people recovering from cancer? Mm-hmm. And they all said yes. And then she asked the question, have any of you recorded that or written it down? And they all said no. And I think it's this thing, why are we not talking about... Um, why are we not talking about those success stories or signposting? It's not to say if we don't know about it, so if we don't know about the situation, I kind of I'll summarise this because this has kind of been waffled so we can edit it. <laughs> but into kind of a few points, um, maybe don't dismiss something because you don't know mm-hmm. about it. So signpost to another expert. There are always people who might know about it. Um, collaborating. So maybe seeing the cancer care as a collaborative relationship mm. where it's a collective partnership so you do allow that narrative of the, the person you're treating to actually be open and honest about the other things that they might be doing instead of maybe holding back from that um, and so for example there are certain herbs and things that we know might interact with chemo but people might not mention that mm-hmm. um, like curcumin can actually, I think, interact in certain cases, or um, medicinal cannabis we have to be very careful with, but if a patient feels like they're not able to be open, then they might be afraid and they might not mention those things. So encouraging that open dialogue Mm. would be great. And also realising that um, that coactive partnership of there isn't really a hierarchy with it, what people do at home is so important alongside all of this. But I also recognise that there is a challenge that not everyone wants to be making changes because actually a diagnosis is maybe enough for some people. So it definitely is. It's a real tricky one, isn't it, as a, as a doctor because mm. everyone's so unique in the information that they are seeking as well or wanting or how much they, they want to take in. Yeah, absolutely. There really isn't... Um, and one size that fits all and I think that's why it's so important that doctors aren't robots and you do have that human interaction and that face-to-face um, or you know over the phone if it's during times like this where you can really information gather and understand what your patient wants out of the relationship and so you can work on that partnership and deliver advice and care that suits them because you're right not everyone um, you know, wants to get on that self-care management um, journey right away, but it's about just assessing where people are and how ready they are to make changes, but not to push them, I guess, but to try and suggest Definitely. things. 
sometimes like we know that support groups and peer-to-peer support can be um, absolutely paramount and I think um, it's probably important to mention here I know that BSLM British Society of Lifestyle Medicine are trialing group consultations for diabetes management and I think when you are set off on this journey and this and you have this unknown terrain and you don't really know um, how you're going to cope you really do get a lot of benefit by having someone in a similar situation that you can bounce ideas off and kind of um, record your little wins together with. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's really key, that social network of, of kind of realising, a little bit like the blue zones, that in those areas of longevity in the world, one of the main things that they put down, it's the areas that they have the highest number of 100-year-olds, those who haven't heard yeah. of them. And that research, um, what are the kind of key factors that lead to a community living very, like, into their 100th, 100th year is that having community support and social network. And if there's anything that cancer can kind of encourage us to do is actually to ask for help and to receive help. And often, you do often get a lot of people who say, um, those who get ill are the ones who are always giving out and giving to other people and sometimes it is that time to really take time for you and to connect and be willing to accept that social support mm-hmm. that is there absolutely like a resetting and just a way to look after yourself and find out what your body mind and soul need um, yeah yeah the self care <laughs> which is interesting because you do get people when they're going through treatment who say I've never been more healthy because suddenly they're now doing these things or making you know thinking about diet or thinking about their minds and they Mm. may not have ever taken time to do that no completely and so on that note um I know that you're very interested in breath work can you just tell our listeners a little bit about it and um what kind of services you offer yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to say, can you just guide our listeners through a breath work? <laughs> <laughs> that would um, be nice. So, for me, the two things that were particularly game-changing in my recovery and going through treatment were meditation and breath work. And I didn't realise the point where I first started having chemo and I started to realise that um, for example, the first friend that I met on the ward died mm-hmm. and I started to experience the kind of grief um, and also kind of, I, I think at that point I felt like I disconnected from my body and kind of um, left my body a little bit to try and get through the situation that was happening and from that it meant I wasn't really very connected to my body or um, embodied in everything that I was doing. But that was kind of the personal thing of breathwork really. Breathwork made 
so the first part when we did our initial I did the training I do transformational it's transformational breath um uh and trained with a school called inspirational breathing and the initial part of the course we have to do our own training before we we can then teach and on the first day I drew this I was told to draw my body and I kind of drew the stick body with a giant head <laughs> and then on day five I actually drew that I had a kind of physical body and it was amazing to see the changes that um I realized I yeah had this body so breathwork is a um tool so obviously we all breathe every day but when we consciously connect our breath we can um let go of things that we are holding in our bodies so we all hold different emotions mm-hmm. in different parts of our bodies and we by connecting the mind and the body which is in the breath we realize any um potentially limiting beliefs or um anything that might be holding us back and it's just a really powerful tool to energize us to um strengthen immunity to bring in clarity and inspiration and creativity whatever it is that might be needed for that individual person and um, breathwork can kind of take you on an experience of that so we do breathwork journeys and um yeah so that's I, i've been doing those one-on-ones mm-hmm. and doing a mixture of different case studies and a lot of people say that they've been in um therapy for years and actually when they do breathwork it's kind of like many sessions of therapy for them in terms of their release absolutely and it's really great for letting go of trauma in the body for reconnecting to your kind of um kind of truth as well to mm-hmm. what is underneath all of those layers of noise because i think when we get into our heads we can kind of get into storytelling and kind of overthink things whereas when we connect to our bodies our bodies just hold everything there's wisdom in that mm-hmm. And for me, it was really key of, people can often talk about cancer as my body has betrayed me, mm-hmm. and I really wanted to be on my own team, and I think having that pairing of the breath, which which is, after, we can go, what is it, 30 days without food, three days without water, potentially, and then three minutes without oxygen, it's the first and the last thing that yeah. we do, yeah. and it's just, it's like our kind of life force. Mm. So the way we breathe, we can tell a lot about people's emotional state by the way they breathe, and um yeah it's just i could talk about the breath it's been fascinating i love it yeah no it sounds like such a journey you've gone on and thank you so much for sharing such a a small part of it to our listeners we'll have to do another breathwork podcast (laughs) and maybe get you to lead a practice so thank you so much for that so um where can people find you online to read more about true fields so Truefields would be um, our website, which is truefields.com. It's spelled T-R-E-W. And that's also on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm Sophie True on those if anyone wants to explore breathwork further down the line. Um, yeah, those are the spots. But also starting at the moment, we are going to, because obviously the live event in 3D won't be happening um, just yet. We're going to be starting a membership, so that will include things like the workshops. We'll have a monthly breathwork and a masterclass with some of the doctors. Um, and yeah, we'll be uh, getting NutriTank involved with that. Definitely, would love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's truly thank been you amazing having, having you. Now we'll hear from the experience of another wonderful person who's experienced cancer. 
and how they use their own experience during cancer treatment to empower other patients to do the same through cooking. Pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I first came across you, like I said earlier, um, on the Sheila Dillon BBC Radio 4 food programme. So could you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Ali. Great to be on this Nutri-Tank uh, podcast. You're doing a fabulous job, you guys. Unbelievable. Talk about synergy everywhere, aren't you? It's great. Um, I got diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer, Gleason score 8, in May 2018. Um, I had a long history of depression before that. Um, but when I actually got diagnosed, um, my, my world turned around in something that that Sophie's been talking about, and that's the power of the mind. I didn't want my family to be worrying about me because because of my history. So I decided on that very day that I was going to embrace this cancer and I was going to give it my best shot. I'd never, ever, ever seen it as a battle or a fight. I've always seen it as part of me. The tumour was part of me. When you're in a fight or a battle, the thing that you're in a fight or a battle is not always with you, but a tumour is. Mm. You can't leave it, so why fight it? So it was part of me. I went on a big walk the next day because I'm an avid fitness freak and, and like to walk a lot. Um, so I had lots of time to, to, to get caught up in my own reverie, if you like. And I decided that I needed to find out about the drugs that were going to be put in my body, um, the chemotherapy, the, the radiotherapy and everything else. So I just started to study the drugs that, that they were going to put in. Uh, I know them all off the top of my head, whether it goes to tax or the, the chemotherapy drug itself. I, I researched into what went into that alley. I mean, sat from a Japanese happy tree, alcohol, <laughs> thousands of different ingredients. Mm. Um, and then I decided I was okay on the protein thing because of my background in nutrition and food, but I needed to look at other things. So I needed, I knew that my bones were going to get absolutely hammered mm. by the chemotherapy and I needed to boost my immune system further. So I upped my training routine and I started to look at foods which would, which would benefit me greatly in terms of calcium and the other nutrients that were needed. So I went from basically starting to make myself a few meals using kale and pomegranate and all these great things that are good for you. And then I put them together in a dish and then I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to put this on Twitter and see what it looks like. And I got such a good response from people. And it was born from there, really. There's lots of other people in the country doing it, by the way, which is brilliant. The likes of Ryan Riley and doing an absolutely wonderful job. They're great, but I've embraced it. And as, as Sophie said before, the power of the mind is incredible. And, and indeed, as, as Catherine, the, the earlier guest, said, um, she talked about tools in your box. Um, well, the mind is the most powerful tool we've got in mm. our box, isn't it? It can do whatever you want if you're strong enough. And, and so I've taken it from there and I've ran with it. And, and here we are today. I, I absolutely love it. And it's a patient's perspective for patients and carers. Which, which is quite important. You know, Robin talks about the importance of carers, and I couldn't agree more. So everything I do is geared towards hopefully helping others, not just cancer patients, mm. past, present, future, but the carers, and maybe all of us just just to understand a little bit more about nutrition and, and how we can help boost and the all-important three key words which everyone's talking about these days, the immune system. Mm. 
Mm. And so it seems like you really harnessed your relationship with food at the beginning of this journey with your diagnosis. But I know you mentioned you have a background in um, uh, being a chef. So could you just tell us a little bit about how that informed you um, with that kind of skill set? Well, when I was a much younger man, you know, you're 16, 17, 18, you don't really know what you want to do with your life. And unfortunately, I spent most of my time impersonating the teachers in school, so I never got the, the grades that I should have got. Really. So I was too busy in trying to try and have a laugh with people. So so then I, it was the done thing in the late 70s then for people from Liverpool and the north northwest and the northeast to go and work away. So... I went to work away in places like Bournemouth and Torquay and worked in hotels and started to work alongside the chefs and they were showing me things and I, I took a, a great interest in cookery and I thought maybe this was going to be my future but uh, it, it never it never worked out that way. I went down another path in terms of sports media but I've always retained the interest in cooking. I've always loved to cook. Mm. I've always wanted to learn, constantly trying to learn. I'm, that are amazed by some of the things chefs do these days. So although necessarily I wouldn't call myself a chef, I'm a very passionate cook mm. with probably an awful lot of experience. But if you put me up against some of these chefs, Ali, it'd be like driving a blind robin up against the Bentley, you know, if I'd get left behind, but I do. John, honestly, I can relate to that so much. I had to chop vegetables alongside Jamie Oliver, who told me on live TV on Channel 4 that my chopping skills are appalling. So I know I know how you feel. <laughs> so no, I, I just love it. It's great. Good fun. Yeah, no, it is good fun. Exactly. It really is an activity that blends your mind, body and soul. Um, I find it really mindful. I'm not particularly into breath work myself but I really find I get a lot of calm from actually preparing food and shopping and um, so I find it extraordinary that even though you went down a different pathway having had some experience in the hospitality industry they almost found you again um, at such a challenging time of your diagnosis so um, what was it what was that kind of penny dropping moment that you decided that you wanted to um, you know you said you uploaded that um, picture onto Twitter, but what made you really want to spread the message about this kind of connection with food? I think, uh, as the other guys will tell you, you get diagnosed with cancer, it, it, it's almost like uh, you slip into a default mode, you, you suddenly become the type of person who wants to pass your experience on to others. We're not unique the people that are on the podcast in that we're the only ones who want to help. Every cancer patient I've, I've met, and there's been quite a few in the last two years, they all want to do something, and I think it's great. So mm. the fact that I put these dishes out and people were taking an interest, all of a sudden I found that this project was taking my mind off my aggressive cancer, which is what it was. Mm. I'm not going to pull no bones about it, but it took my mind off it and it helped me through it, and... I've not looked back, I just, I love it so much. I, I used to be afraid of dying mm. when I was younger, but I'm not afraid now. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever my diagnosis is, which is which is uh, incurable cancer, yet manageable, mm -hmm. uh, as you'll know, with, with uh, gazellin treatment and the three monthly needles, but but I'm, I'm totally going with the flow, mm. loving what I'm doing, but most importantly, I never ever see myself as an expert I love to learn from, from people like yourself 
you, you know, you've, you've spent years of training to be one of the doctors of the future and all your colleagues mm-hmm. and the other people that have been on the podcast. I'm, I'm a bit like Sophie in that. I, I just love to learn mm-hmm. and I, I'm like a sponge. I'm always trying to learn and I think it's brilliant, you know, what, what everyone's doing. I agree and I love to learn from the people I have on the podcast. I mean, it's, yeah, I think we're all quite curious in that way and why it's so nice to have that synergy together. So, um, what are the kinds of meals that you prepare and um, what kind of diet do you follow? Well, obviously I'm not on chemotherapy now, but mm. it's not necessarily left me. But I've learned through the process, um, when I started doing chemo cookery, one of the first dishes I made was, I thought I was being quite clever, I got this huge portobello mushroom, um, I, I baked it in the oven. And I took the middle out, I dried it all out, and then I popped a duck egg inside. Mm. And I put the duck egg in the oven for a couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks. <laughs> Did I say a couple of weeks? A couple of minutes. <laughs> Can you imagine what it'd be like with a couple of weeks? And I popped it in the oven. And then when I took it out, I served it up with some parsley. And everyone's gone crazy on the internet saying, isn't that lovely? But you know when I cut into the egg alley, it was all runny and orange and it was gorgeous. But you know what? chemotherapy patients shouldn't have raw eggs that are not cooked properly right. and this nearly two years ago without me doing chemo cookery i wouldn't have known that right. that is just one small aspect of the importance of trying to avoid neutropenia mm. you know especially during your nadir periods and there was nobody about to tell me you can't eat eggs that aren't properly cooked i learned through reading and now, if I do a chemo cookery with an egg or an omelette or a frittata or whatever, I always make sure the egg is properly cooked because it's so important. You know, I'm just learning as I go along. So that's just one example Whoa. of the dish. You know, the other that's thing is so fascinating. Uh, yeah, sorry, to, that's just so yeah. fascinating because I would I would never have known it. That's a brand new thing for me to learn. I've obviously. Um, I've got one year to go until I'm qualified as a doctor and I've never really, I've learned about neutropenia for our listeners who don't know what that is. It's having a low um, white blood cell count, which can be quite dangerous to contract serious infections. And I've never even thought about, um, you know, raw food and the impact it can have. No, and to be fair, when I got diagnosed with my cancer, I was given... Macmillan are a great organisation. I was given all the booklets. I mean, I could fill a library with Macmillan books in my small room in the back. And the Eat Well with Cancer book I'm always putting on Twitter. I read it a lot. It's my Bible, as it were. But that's all I was given. So I had to go away and read it. If I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have had no advice at all as to what foods to avoid and what foods you try should try and eat more of there's, there's so many examples and an expert nutritionists like nikki who, who, who maybe on another podcast in the future from nutritanks she'll, exactly. she'll explain being more qualified that is so important you know exactly and you've just highlighted how important and powerful education is and how it can lead to huge impacts i think so it's um as i say we're learning that as we go along um, I learned from the nutritionists. I'm forever reading stuff about what, what they say we should put in our bodies and when we can't. But ultimately, it all comes down to the immune system. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard Sophie again talking about going to America and Mexico and, and some of the people, you know, in I've got a friend from Peru's family 
you know, are all okay through COVID. And a lot of these people, their diets are absolutely fabulous. Mm. You know, Peruvian people eat a lot of quinoa, mm. which is a raw protein, which is really good for you. So I just wonder whether the cancer survival rates in places like, like South America are a little bit better because fundamentally their immune systems are a little bit stronger because of their diet. When in this country, you know, you've got alcohol, you've got sugar, you've got all kinds of of distractions. Mm. But I just wonder in the grand scheme of things, and you know this more than I will being so qualified, is I just wonder whether these cancer survivors, how much is it down to your immune system? I mean, I think that's such an expert question and yeah, I definitely don't feel um, competent to answer, especially because, yeah, I'm not even qualified yet and haven't done a degree in immunology, but I think it's a very interesting area that you draw upon, but we've got to think of all the other factors in developing um, countries and access to healthcare. So whilst they might have fantastic diets and better kind of, um, you know, environments and vitamin D and all of that, their access to healthcare isn't as great and there can be issues of them not seeking early, um, you know, early advice and then they come at late stages rather. So there's so many factors, I'm sure. And yeah, it's definitely a PhD worth <laughs> of, of research there. But no, really interesting that point. That rules me out then. Huh? <laughs> rules me out. <laughs> no, it pulls me out. I'm not going to be doing a PhD anytime soon. Um, so I just wanted to ask you from your part, you, you know, you're an expert patient in my eyes. You're someone who's been through it all and you're trying to educate others. What's it like in terms of your taste buds and just your appetite when you're on chemotherapy? And how, how does that change and what foods, you know, taste different? Um, and if I was in me in the day period and 
I was tired all the time. I'd just go and sleep and I wouldn't eat for a couple of days. But everyone's different, as we've heard. You know, everyone's journey is unique. And I remember reading, I think it was in your blog that you did for us or somewhere else, or it was probably on Sheila's show, um, that you commented on like the metal taste that you got sometimes um, and that others have fed back to you. So how do you, um, you know, how do you deal with that and still en enjoy the taste of food or do you not? I, I do enjoy the taste of food. I don't seem to have the same taste buds as I used to. Um, I did have that metallic taste, as chemotherapy patients will tell you. Everything tasted, tasted uh, salty. Um, my sister is is retired now, but she was a highly qualified nurse. She told me um, last year that she'd heard of something that you could eat. Pineapple has got an enzyme in it called bromelain, mm. and it can enhance your taste buds mm. if, if 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 they've struggled to a degree. So I started having the pineapple and. It, it worked for me for a little bit, but because I'm such a deep thinker, I thought, how am I going to make this better? Because I always wanted to have cold things, you know, freezing cold glass of water, cold flannels on my head. So I thought, you know, I'm going to freeze the pineapple and see what happens. Mm. So I froze the pineapple into some lolly ice sticks or ice lollies, whatever you want to call it. And before I'd have my meal, I'd, put, I'd suck on the, on the pineapple and it worked for me. Wow. It helped me yeah. and me and taste but that doesn't mean it works for everyone. I've, I've asked yeah. a couple of people to try it. It hasn't worked for them. But it's, it's, the, it's the enzyme in the cold bromelain. There's other examples as well that can yeah. help you with your taste buds, you know. But it, it worked for me. That's so interesting. And yeah, highlighted again, there's no one size fits all. But I'm very glad that you found something that worked for you. Yeah, so as I asked Sophie, um, what advice would you give from your own personal experience um, to medical students and future doctors or even current doctors that can help make cancer care more a positive experience for the patient? Every cancer patient that I've spoken to, and there's been a lot of them in the last two years, has got a unique story. Mm -hmm. No two cancers are the same. Every journey is different. My own journey, without going into it too much, I, my GP's finger wasn't long enough doing the exam. So I had to go and see a consultant because I'd insisted on, on a PSA test. Mm. When my PSA levels were high, she then asked me, do you want me to refer you? Which I was, I thought, well, yes, of course I want to be referred. So then when I went to see the consultant, oncologist he did the exam and he said yes you've got a suspicious prostate John I think you should stick around and we should do a biopsy straight away mm. so they did the biopsy straight away um, all 12 spores were positive and and we went from there so I think in, in uh, uh, to answer your question Ali I think with, with future doctors try and find out as much from the patients as you can with the finite details of mm -hmm. diagnosis because there might be just somewhere along the line where you realize hang on that rings true because someone else has told me that you know with my, with my prostate cancer i had two retrospective side effects which i only worked out after i got diagnosed loss of libido and sudden incontinence of the worst kind mm -hmm. but at the time i didn't think that was relevant I found out about my prostate cancer because of my history of hemorrhoids. Mm. 
Mm. It was only because I was losing blood from behind. I have for 25 years. I went to get checked out. Mm-hmm. So again, for doctors to try and speak to patients if they get the time, because another busy, just to try and find out a little bit more about the details behind their diagnosis, because there might be just one or two little nuggets of information there that that can help you going forward. And of course, the the personal touch is always good. Yeah, you know. Hearing your first name, all things like that. I was lucky with my oncologist and my doctors. They were brilliant. And I'm sure doctors of the future. And the other thing, Ali, this is, I think this is quite an important point, this. And um, Robin touched on this. I think this current COVID situation is going to have a profound effect on a lot of people. And a lot of people are going to look at life differently now. Mm-hmm. And because everyone's saying hi in the street, people that normally wouldn't talk to you, you know, everyone seems different, kinder. Yeah. And going forward, I, I just wonder whether we can all take from that and try and be a little bit more personable and affable with people. So, uh, you know, for the doctors of the future, given the hard work that they're doing now and that the doctors of the present are doing now, I think I think it, it might just happen anyway because yeah. terrible thing what we're going through. And I think there's an awful lot of people who are going to be kinder from now on. And so it's going to change our thought process, but you know, I think I think that's that's the advice I, w- I would give to uh, to mm. doctors of the future. You know. Thank you so much for sharing that, and I actually do completely agree with you. From what I've seen already, there's so many more people now who are coming forward and sharing their stories online, and you know, look how we met. Um, it's all from these virtual, um, you know, online platforms that I've come across such amazing people. And so I truly think that, yeah, there will be more kindness and more collaboration and community that comes from um, this COVID pandemic. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So tell us, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go to online? Well, the website is still under construction. It got lost in the GoDaddy cloud. Sorry, GoDaddy, but you lost me previous stuff. So I'm, I'm busy building my new website. However, um, Chemo Cookery on Twitter. So it's at Chemo Cookery. And on Instagram, it's Chemo Cookery UK. Um, I don't do Facebook. I'm just happy with those two platforms at the minute. And everything, obviously, the social media is a very, very powerful tool, as, as you touched on yourself a little bit earlier on. It's bringing people together and to get a message out. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful platform, isn't it? You know, whether it be Absolutely. Instagram or, mm-hmm. or, or Twitter. Well, thank you so much for coming on again and for all your time. I know it's been a long one. <laughs> it's okay. I'm all right. I've, I've learned lots. I've learned about you tequila girls because if you had gone through cancer at the time, and and Sophie did tell you this, you wouldn't have to put the salt on the back of your on the back of your wrist because it tastes the salt anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is dark humour right there. That is <laughs> that is very good, John. <laughs> oh. Wow, another wonderful guest. Stay tuned for new episodes on Nutritank's Nourish Your Mind podcast. Nutritank is an award-winning, innovative information hub for food, nutrition, and lifestyle medicine with a current mission to improve nutrition and lifestyle medicine education within medical training nationwide. Nutritank aims to empower healthcare professionals and members of the public to improve their health and well-being through diet and lifestyle modifications. Visit Nutritank.com for our membership packages, follow us on social media 
and join our community. Bye for now. Please note that this podcast aims to educate and not to replace healthcare professionals' advice, so please continue to seek help from your nutritionists, your dietitians, and your doctors. Thank you.